Welcome to The Debris. This is where we talk about what was left behind by Hurricane Katrina and the floods that followed. I'm your host, Eve Tro. We're coming to you from WWNO, New Orleans Public Radio. It's the 10th hurricane season since Katrina hit and the levees broke. There's still all this stuff hanging around to deal with. Debris. So, we're picking up some of it. And let's fix the biggest goddamn crisis in the history of this country. Excuse my French, everybody in America. But I am pissed. This time, we deal with the term that started with former Mayor Ray Nagin and the first comprehensive plan for rebuilding New Orleans from his Bring New Orleans Back Commission. That term, green dot. You remember yeah. that? Oh, absolutely. When you heard that term, green dot, what does that mean to you? The idea of seeing a dot over your neighborhood, your home, you know, uh, one of the most visceral reactions to an image that I can remember. That's Wendell Pierce, the actor. He was best known as Bunk in the TV show The Wire when Katrina hit. Since then, he starred in the HBO series Treme. And you see him regularly, in films and on stage. Wendell Pierce is from New Orleans. His childhood home flooded. He was paying close attention to the news back then. The image he's talking about was a map, published on the front page of the Times-Picayune in January 2006, just a few months after the disaster. On it, a handful of round, green dots, marking areas where rebuilding would stop and green space would take over. To Wendell and lots of other people, that dot said, your community, not coming back. And I just remember that front page cover, man. Uh, There are two media events that I distinctly remember that. And in the first week, uh, when the gentleman on the front page of the Wall Street Journal said, this is a good thing for New Orleans, we'll be able to get rid of the people we don't want. And that that stuck in my head. I said, okay. (laughs) This is the veil has been lifted. The barbarians are at the gate. I totally understand now. Now, the dots were meant as an idea, not a definite for sure plan. But try telling that to people in exile, seeing a map that obliterates their neighborhood. And no one gave them a heads up. Kurt Hagstead is an architect in New Orleans. He and his wife had just finished renovating their house in the Broadmoor neighborhood when it flooded. So being an architect, I immediately took a city map and superimposed the dot on the city map to see exactly where the green dot fell. And I knew it fell in Broadmoor, but I was just seeing from my particular lot and house if I was within the circumference, and I was. And so, you know, my immediate reaction, I think, is like everybody else's when they said, you know, who are they to to tell me that I need to leave the neighborhood that I, I love so much? Broadmoor is a low, sunken part of the city that had to be drained from the get-go when it was first developed. So on one hand, it made sense to clear it out as a sort of buffer zone where flood water could flow in the future. Hagstad gets that. Why not have some retention of water in certain areas and, and at the same time, when it affects you personally, you feel a little differently. The word on the street about the plan was that neighborhoods could rebuild if they proved viability. So Broadmoor organized to do just that. With enough people starting work on their homes or filing for permits to do work, services might be restored. There'd be this momentum the city could not ignore. And that worked. But what was it like to be the first pioneers back then in a green dot zone? Well, Virginia Saucy was there in Broadmoor, and so was her mailman, Ike Richardson. 
In 2007, producer Molly Peterson caught up with them. My name is Ike Richardson. I'm a letter carrier, city of New Orleans. I've been on this route 31 years. Hey, what's up? <laughs> I was one of the first ones to come back out here and start delivering. People were glad to see it. It made them seem like, oh, wow, we're getting mail now. Things kind of getting back to normal, you know. And most of my patients, about 70% of my patients, they, they're back. I'm going to tell Virginia on you, shut up. Oh, Miss Virginia. That's one of my, my good friends. Hello. Come in. Big boys, huh? I'm Virginia Saucy, and I live in the Broadmoor neighborhood of New Orleans. Right, all right. One day, he, um, it was about 102 degrees outside. It was brutally hot. He was getting ready to go back out into the heat, so I took saran wrap, and I filled it with ice, and I soaked a bandana in ice-cold water, and I wrapped it all up and made him a neck wrap to wear to get through the rest of the day. I was worried about his health. I mean, I had heart problems two years ago. Yeah, yeah. Well, and then after the storm, I went to the post office. You had to go pick up your mail? The woman at the counter said, oh, your postal carrier would like a word with you. And Ike came out and said, baby. I said, Ike. Ike doesn't just deliver the mail. He talks to everyone. Tells you who's back, who's renovating, who's itching to move, who's thinking about putting their house on the market. I mean, that's a great gift. We've watched a lot of people change their minds, huh? Sure. Uh, after they found out the neighbor was going to stay, and nobody want to leave, you know, want to, you know, stay around if you don't have nobody to your right, nobody to your left. They got half of the city like that. Mm-hmm. And Jim Tilly's like that right now. I have a brother-in-law down there. I mean, he's thinking about selling this house. I bought my house in Broadmoor in 2003. And I loved the house, but I was terrified of the neighborhood. Now I live alone and I feel so secure because I know everyone around me. I saw my neighbors push their lawnmowers up and down the neutral ground because the city didn't have the resources to do it. I remember at one of the very first Broadmoor Improvement Association meetings that we had in January of 06, a man stood up and he said, who's going to tell me that if I put the $10,000 that I have saved up into restoring my home, that they're not going to come tear it down in six months? And we said, no one. But we're all going to do it too. Virginia Saucy and Ike Richardson, two people who helped prove Broadmoor deserved to be more than a green dot just after Katrina. Now, the green dot plan, as it came to be called, was so contentious, it basically shut down before it even got going. Instead, something called the Unified New Orleans Plan sprung up. It did not include plans to shrink the footprint of the city. Urban planner George McCarthy was in New Orleans at that time. He helped with the Unified New Orleans plan, and he says there were a lot of bad feelings to deal with after those green dots. I asked him what that term means to him. I think of the the very uh, unsuccessful attempt to respond with uh, expert planners who came in and thought about how to um, depopulate whole areas of the city without even ever talking to the people who lived in those areas. It was not our best moment, let's just put it that way, as human beings or as planners either. Were these planners surprised by how upset people were? I don't think anybody's ever surprised when someone tries to defend their home or their neighborhood. I think that what you're kind of missing is this devotion that planners have to cost-benefit analysis, right? 
they just think that the raw purity of the numbers is going to get them to the right decision, um, even if that decision kind of violates other concerns, social, political, democratic concerns, or the rule of law, by the way, right? So they found the places that were affected by the storms that were also the place where the most disadvantaged people lived, and they decided that those would be the, pl- the places they would start depopulating. You know, Lakeview and Gentilly flooded worse than the Lower Ninth. They had more water there. But no one ever thought about depopulating Lakeview and Gentilly. So this Green Dot plan really struck a nerve with people and was essentially just dismissed. And I'm curious what kind of conversations we missed out on having because things got so contentious so fast, that gut reaction to those green dots. Every failed planning effort always runs the risk of creating broad-based cynicism that is going to make it harder to do the next plan. And then, you know, every time a plan is, is created and it isn't implemented, the same thing happens. And so what was learned in the process was, I would say, some of the best lessons we've learned in modern planning, which was that we could use new technology and new approaches to find ways to get large numbers of citizens involved in solving the problems of the place that they live in and they love. One of the first really broad-based uh, plans with civic participation came out of New Orleans with that unified New Orleans plan that was after the failed you know, top-down planning. One of the things that was really useful was being able to reach out to the diaspora that was living in Houston and Indianapolis and other places and get people who were displaced from the storm to actually weigh in. That was, that, I don't think it's ever happened in the history of planning. One of the big lessons learned is that if we want to engage the public in planning efforts, we need to train the public to be planners, and that that means we need to get people to understand that urban planning means difficult decisions. A community in trauma is not particularly well-positioned to make difficult decisions when there seems to be such a focus on loss. People, I mean, sure, they're in shock when horrible loss occurs, and they might even have longer-term post-traumatic stress. But most people are really eager to kind of get in there and start, you know, helping. The quantum leap that was made as a result of the, of the Unified New Orleans plan was the idea that in old-school planning, civic engagement involves um, holding a meeting, going to the community and asking them what, what they want, having the planners go back uh, behind the curtain and do their uh, masterful plans, and then come back to the community and tell them what they're going to get out of the list of what they, they said they wanted, right? Now, when the professors and, the, and the, the graduate students went out and started to train, you know, citizen groups to be planners and then get them to understand, all right, look, we can't, we can't have everything we want, but we can probably get everything we need if we can figure out a strategy for sequencing it right and we can, you know, manage our own expectations and, and really participate in the process, that was a big deal. And, and it also proved, to, at least to me and to those of us who were watching it closely, that there was a lot of value to be extracted from getting people to participate in the process. And in the end, you ended up with something that you needed in the first place, which is broad-based support for the plan. When you come down to New Orleans now and you see how green space has been and continues to be incorporated, where do you think we wound up? Oh, you wound up in a way, way better place. Are you kidding? And, and the way that people are thinking really, really carefully about being able to have green space that doubles as um, stormwater retention, 
that greenway that's running through Terme, and it's it's intelligent and it's much better than saying, oh, we're just going to kind of hollow out the the ninth ward. George McCarthy, currently with the Lincoln Institute in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Now, despite the fact that the Green Dot idea was totally dismissed in pretty short order, Broadmoor, the neighborhood, still likes to kind of rub it in that they survived and that they now thrive. Again, architect and resident Kurt Hagstead. Sure, there were a couple of times they actually had Green Dot parties and, and just... In typical New Orleans spirit, you know, you mock things that seem maybe so serious to you, but I think as it went on, it became more of a sense of pride that we had defeated the the great green dot, just as a way of celebrating our success. Such a success that when it came time to name the cafe of the library, Green Dot won. And that sassy name, I mean, you never know it was sassy unless you knew the history. And if you didn't, now you do. But what about those other green dots? At the Green Dot Cafe, Teresa Taylor gets a Greek wrap sandwich. Oh, Lord, what does it have? (laughs) All the good stuff, healthy stuff for you. Keeps me going. She comes here to wait for her kids who go to school nearby. She loves the library, and she loves that it has a cafe. I want to share it with the library in my neighborhood. So Taylor doesn't have anything like this in her neighborhood. She lives in New Orleans East, and parts of New Orleans East were also slated for obliteration in that green dot map of 2006. But it's an area that is decidedly not back compared to Broadmoor. Taylor's part of town has been slow to get health care services. There are lots of empty homes and abandoned businesses, and you often hear about crime in the area. When she comes to the beautifully rebuilt Broadmoor Library and its Green Dot Cafe, Taylor dreams about how to make her part of town better, what it could have been after Katrina. Most of the Green Dots didn't get a highly conscientious makeover. We went to another Green Dot spot, now a vast parking lot of a Lowe's big box hardware store. And we asked Teresa Taylor, would this area have been better off as nothing at all? Heck no. Heck to the no. (laughs) No, we are grateful because a lot of people coming back needed a Lowe's to start rebuilding their homes again. So we we are grateful for having this. But, you know, we we need um, a shopping center, you know, a Macy's, JCPenney, Target. And I know people saying, well, it's just a shop, but... It plays a big part because it's saying that, okay, companies should know and see that we are a population that has been growing and will continue to grow. We have over 90,000 people. You know, we have median income. But we have an influx of dollar generals, of family dollars. And I'm like, are you trying to say, okay, this is the type of uh, businesses that New Orleans East represents, and we don't represent all that? You know, it's good to have them, but not in excess, an abundance of them. Right now we have our park. It's beautiful. Ask if we can have a skate park. Because we have kids skating around on their skateboards. I said, it's a beautiful park. Why not include that? Me and another resident, we went to out of town to look at some skate parks. 
And we were like, oh my God, this would be great. You know, we, we brought the paperwork and everything <laughs> to the city. You know, it just kind of fell on deaf ears. But I hope that we can, um, you know, that's another amenity that I, we'd like to see for our kids. Like, why are we not on even keel? It, it hurts and it's unfair. And that's how we'll end this episode of Katrina, the Debris, looking from Broadmoor to New Orleans East and wondering how things will even out. You can find our podcast every week through the end of August on iTunes or use the podcast app on your smartphone. Just search for WWNO and Katrina the Debris or just go to WWNO.org. Our producer is Kate Richardson. Digital director is Jason Saul. Special thanks this week to Janet Wilson, Jesse Hardman, Rob Walker, and Wendell Pierce. He's producing a play, Brothers from the Bottom. It's about family and real estate and culture and money in post-Katrina New Orleans. You'll hear more about that here later on. Paul Mawson is general manager of WWNO. Katrina the Debris is produced here in New Orleans. If you like it and you'd like to hear more from us, consider giving to New Orleans Public Radio. You can do that at WWNO.org. Support also comes from Dirty Coast Press. Learn more about their locally designed and produced products, dirtycoast.com. I'm your host, Eve Tro. Until next time, be well, be good, be safe, and thanks. Thanks.